0: Hi, I'm Caleb and I'm Daniel and this is the Ancient Bible Podcast. Okay, so have we officially started? I think let's let's call this the official start now. Okay. Well, I'm excited. So,
1: um last time you messed up Psalm 133.
0: <laughs> the audio. I, I didn't Well, mess. maybe in more than one way. <laughs> yes, yes. So now we're gonna do 136.
1: And then we're gonna do how are we gonna make this up? How are we going Because it's weird. Because it's like this is episode two, but it's episode <laughs> one. Well we'll go
0: back and re record episode one.
1: But that's actually gonna be episode two.
0: <clears throat> so let's call this episode one.
1: So, then why are we reading all backwards? We're going to do 136 before 133.
0: <laughs> I came prepared for 136. You're prepared for 133 too. Okay, so let's do 133. I can go there. Is that what you want to do? Yeah.
1: You sure? No. <laughs> Don't let me pressure you. You could,
0: I mean, I think we could.
1: Because you we'll, think it's okay? You think it's okay to be out of order since we're just doing random psalms that we want to do until we pick something to read, study.
0: Well, but like we haven't released anything yet, anyways, so nobody knows that this is number two.
1: They will now.
0: <laughs> I'll edit all of this.
1: That's dumb, man. Why you gotta leave it raw and uncut, Wu yeah. Tang style?
0: <laughs> so what do you want to do? Do you want to record one thirty-three now?
1: Well, I think realistically, if you want to do one whole psalm in an episode, 133 is a great one to do. If we do Psalm 136, we could do the whole thing, but it's going to take a while. Whereas if we do, if we start with 136, realistically, that's a two-parter, I think, pretty, pretty easily. Uh, I mean, just like if this was a Hebrew reading class. You know, you've only you've got a time limit on it. You know, you, you only a lot of those classes you're in there for an hour and a half, maybe. And then, you know, your attention span is what it is. So <laughs> and then this document you sent me. Oh, no, you got all of them. huh? you went through every single like I, you're done. I did. I did. I parsed them all. OK, so you're ready to go. You think you think you can just run through this? huh? I don't know about run
0: through
1: it. Start singing, Caleb. Let me hear it.
0: I don't know this song. You didn't hear it? No. You didn't find it? Which oh, – I talk- don't want to have to perform it for
1: you, man. Are you talking about the twins? No, no, no. That's Psalm 133. No,
0: I don't have a song for 136.
1: Well, in the lost episode, now that will never be recovered, except <laughs> what I can remember and tell you – there was a song that I mentioned for 136 that if you go to Yale and do Hebrew, I'm pretty sure it's Yale, but it's uh, Hoffer's book, uh, Victoria Hoffer.
0: Um, she's got a book. Um, um. You did. Me, um, yes, you did say something about that. I remember now. You said there's some good songs in there. Is that the is that the one you taught me, the Picard song?
1: Yeah, the Picard Pocket, uh, Picard, yeah. ta, Picard, 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 yeah. That's, so, that's
0: beautiful music. I
1: think here, you know, I think you're putting together a website also, right? Yes. Okay. All right, well, I'm just going to message you uh, a link. The book is uh, Bonnie Cattell, Victoria Hoffer, Rebecca Wright, Fully revised by Victoria Hoffer. it's the second edition of Biblical Hebrew from Yale University Press, and I think the audio CDs in the back are worth the price of the book. Um, you, you can you can probably find it on Amazon. Let me see what it is on Amazon. But it's uh if if you're just starting in Biblical Hebrew, I use you know I teach like I taught you some of those songs. not every single one of them no there's but just a the couple. ones. The ones for the Paradigms are really, really good. It makes learning the Paradigms fun instead of a boring chore.
0: Yeah, well. Like
1: it it is for most people.
0: I can write them out just because of the song. Oh, goodness. No, it ain't no
1: cheaper. uh, Well, you can get some used ones. So if you get it used, just see if they have a CD in it. But uh, I, I wish I wish they would make those uh, available like on iTunes or Google Play or whatever for people just to get the audio for because it's really, really good. So there's a few psalms that they have on those. And it's not just her. It's a bunch of it's students. I think most of them are actually students that put together the music over time. But there's one for Psalm 136 that's a lot of fun, and I'm not going to do the whole thing, but – here you go, folks. You get to enjoy my musical stylings now. It's ho du ho lado <laughs> kile lam, kile olam All right, so you get the idea. <clears throat> and if you haven't heard it, you can imagine how the rest of them sound. But it's that, it's that song. What's that? De la we want to, and then the song that it
0: is. It sounds like it, yeah.
1: Yeah, that's basically what it is. And they're doing it here with psalm 136 so it's a lot of fun a lot of fun to sing and as you uh mentioned earlier um and we were arguing about it a little bit but this is popular now from from praise and worship music
0: yeah this is the chris tomlin psalm his love endures forever
1: right and if you open up uh niv bible i'm looking at the 84 because i don't i don't quit um, quit sucker, mama didn't raise no quitter. <laughs> uh, his love endures forever, his love endures forever, his love endures forever. So, yeah, that was that's what everybody was reading back in the day. And uh, Chris Tomlin made a very popular
0: song with it. Uh, it's just a bad translation, though, isn't it?
1: Well, if nothing else, I, I want to think about you know, as we keep reading, we can nitpick. Translations always, and I think, like, like we said last time in the lost episode, that nobody's going to hear because this is actually episode two, <laughs> despite what, how he manipulatively edits this thing.
0: <laughs> um, I got off track. What are we talking about? Talk about translations.
1: Yeah, no, you have to evaluate a translation based on its goals, and we talked about that last time, and True. so. Uh, everybody, I had so many wonderful little one-liners, and I can't remember them all, and you had great comebacks and your own little jokes. And, man, I, I just – I'm so sad they're going to be lost forever.
0: I mean, you know, it, it happens when you're relying on machines to do the work for you. <laughs> well, user error. Yeah, well,
1: uh-huh. it was user
0: error, you're right.
1: <laughs> so – Whenever you evaluate a translation, it's best to, you know, if you want your evaluation to be relevant, you have to think about what that translation is trying to do. Not just I learned some Hebrew, I learned some Greek. And so let me criticize it. But first understand what are its goals. Did it accomplish those goals? Um, And if there's something that is a valid criticism, then lay it out. But just saying... It's not right because it didn't do it the way I would do it. That's not a good criticism. So True. What I want to look at uh, as we get through this is, as, as always, uh, I'm, I'm always very concerned with violence. And I know you are too. And I think it's interesting which parts of this song Chris Tomlin wants to sing. Yeah. Once he does it.
0: Yeah. I was actually thinking the same thing. I was thinking, well, why isn't that in the song? Yeah. I don't want to talk about that.
1: No. We need to hold them babies up in the song. We don't want to sing nothing bad about nothing bad about Egyptian babies. Oof. But we'll get there. So we have Psalm 136. Go ahead. You want to read verse one? I already sang it. Why don't you read it? Do I need to be
0: respectful or can I say Yahweh?
1: Yeah, I was singing the song the way that that they do it on the Victoria Hoffer CD because that's how I learned the song. But most of the time, you know, you know me. Actually, let's go ahead and talk about that. Yahweh, in in the way that that I like to talk about it, and other people will describe it different ways. But I like to tell people it's an intentional mispronunciation because first of all there's an issue with Ws from German speakers and English speakers, and a lot of these English speakers that a while ago were using these German theology books and German Hebrew grammars, because there's this great Gesenius tradition of of Hebrew grammar and lexicography. They were using that stuff, and they forgot that the Js were pronounced like Ys, and the Ws were pronounced like Vs, (laughs) And so that's why over here in America you have people saying Jehovah, which that's <laughs> it's not Jeho- It's it, it would be Yehovah, and people saying Yahweh, and it's not Yahweh. It'd be Yahweh, if it's if it's anything. Uh, and some you find some scholars that when they write that they'll change the the W to a V. And like when I've done stuff with you when we did Intro Hebrew, I never once wrote down W A W for Vav. It's always V A V. You know, we always, yeah. and in transliteration, I've always represented that as a v because I'm from America, and that's how we do
0: things. Joe Blenkinsop uses a v in his stuff. Yeah, so uh,
1: when you say Yahweh, you're already being respectful of the tradition of not vocal. you know the the Mazarites in in many instances, put the vowel points for adonai on the tetragrammaton right on 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 the name for yahweh so that way if somebody tried to pronounce it they wouldn't be able to so they already if you try to pronounce it as they lay it out you're not you're already not pronouncing the name of god because they don't want you to be able to pronounce the name of god (laughs) in case you would do it uh in a in a disrespectful way right So we already know Yahweh is not the way it's properly pronounced, but everybody knows what we're talking about. So I think it's fine because we're intentionally mispronouncing it. But everybody knows we're talking about this one God of ancient Israel. Right. Okay. Um, And so I think it's fine. If you want to say Yahweh, say Yahweh. Actually, show me any instance in biblical Hebrew when a Vav is ever pronounced like a W. True. Never, ever, ever does it happen. That's from Arabic. That's not in Hebrew. So if you say Yahweh here, reading Biblical Hebrew, I know you're doing something special, something that's actually not like any of the rest of the alphabet. So you're already treating it with care. I think when you say Yahweh is perfectly fine. Some people don't like to do it, they get offended. Not me. Go ahead.
0: <laughs> okay, so Yahweh, <laughs> kitov ki leolam has do. Hasdo. Has do, sorry.
1: Yeah, chasdo. Make sure you get that yeah. guttural. Got guttural. This isn't hesed. This is chesed. Yes. Right. And that's a vav there. Not a ooh. Right. Not a shura. Okay.
0: And you already sent me parsings, didn't you? I did. And I sent you a, a translation for the, the refrain. Okay. So first
1: we have ho do. And you have.
0: So I have it as a. What? A Hifil? Hifil what? Uh, I'm opening up my file. It went away on me. Well, look at it. What is it? I am. I was just opening it up. So I have a Hifil imperative, second masculine plural. How do you know? Uh, I don't, I cheated off of my parsing software.
1: Okay. So work backwards. So you, they gave you the answer now prove them right or disprove them because the parsing that, you know, you, the, the, the parsing apparatus, you know, the, the, the database that they lay over that, whether you're using Westminster or whether you're using some other company's in-house one, or even now they have uh, syntax and, and, and there's the, the discourse stuff that, that Logos has. You don't always have to agree with them. So the, the parsing software is going to give you something that is reasonable, something that someone who studied this can have a reason to say why they're parsing it this way. But there might be a reason to parse it another way. A good example is a direct object marker at. It can also be preposition with. And most of the time, I, I agree with, with what the the, the parsing says about when it's a direct object marker or when it's a preposition with but not always sometimes it's marked as a direct object marker and i think no in this context that's most likely preposition with i don't have an example off the top of my head but i know i've seen it before so we're cheating we're using our parts we're not cheating but we're just using our tools because we have tools so why not use them and it says it is a hifil imperative masculine plural how do we know
0: uh I actually don't because I couldn't find Yada or or something with a one Yoda and a three hay listed. Well what is uh most
1: salient to you? What 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 pops out to me well the hay is the beginning. The hay obviously lets us know we're in the Hifil area, right? Right.
0: Well what about this Vav right next to it? I mean, I don't know, because I would expect there to be a yod, right? Right. Right, because the first root consonant
1: is a yod. Right. So what's the deal with that? Is it because it's a three hay? No. I mean, I'm not saying that that doesn't matter. Obviously, that hay's not there. It's weak, and it tends to disappear. But that doesn't explain nothing about that. Uh, Vav up there, why is the Vav up there? Come on, we had this. We actually had this in um, Psalm 133. We have this in Psalm 133 also. I have I have a new BHRG right here, and I'm uh, this one's not tabbed up yet. My old BHRG is all tabbed up, and I'm very very used to where everything is in it. So forgive me, I'm going a little slow. But this is a weak verb problem. We need to look up some weak verb stuff. Where, where is the wheat? Yeah, we know there's a hay that's not there, but what's up with that first position? We need to go to our one yod section, and I'm looking for. Oh, here we go. Here you go to one yod and one vav. Oh, look at this. 18.7, page 123 in the new edition, and it even classifies them together. It's one yod and one vav. You see this? This is in the old version too. Okay, look, look at this. Look at this intro paragraph. Right after here, it's got this little brief intro with the little chart. Old Biblical Hebrew, Biblical Hebrew for Kal and Hifil. Yep, I remember this. Then this, then this paragraph. The old Hebrew verb, we would assume it's something like Vashav, became Yashav in the Kal Katal perfect of Biblical Hebrew. But the historical distinction between yetav and vashav can still be seen in the hifil. In the following discussion, a distinction will be made between verbs that were originally one-yod verbs, such as yetav, and verbs which were originally one-vav verbs, first position vav verbs, such as yeshav. So we saw that in Psalm 133, which is actually the last episode and I guess is now a preview to people for a future episode (laughs) because it has Yeshav in there in uh, the the chorus of Psalm 133. Right. So we've seen these tricky one yod verbs. And in that one, it's what happens in the infinitive construct. There's this tav that pops up that's weird, but that's for a past episode, which is actually a future episode because we're in some kind of time warp with this. (laughs) We'll deal with that. Back then. But here's another one Yod verb. It is Yada, Yod, Dalit, Hay. And in the Hifil, the old original one Vav still pops up. Okay. It's it's showing you its it's old form. It's showing you this verb used to come from a Vav, Dalit, Hay root. And you're right. In that root also. Guess what's guess what's missing? The hay. The hay, yeah. So the hay's weak. The hay's always getting the hay out of there It has to go to the hospital because <laughs> it has that broken leg. Unlike the the chet uh, in Chesed, which is very strong, so you better pronounce it right. <laughs> but this is a actual one vav verb. It's a it's it's a one yod verb in the cow stem. But in the when you get to fill, it shows how old it is, that it, this actually comes from a one vav verb and it's still there. So in that sense, two of the three roots, the the three consonants are present. It's just that Yod is showing you I used to be a Vav. Okay. So the Vav is there. The dot so in that sense the Yod is there. It's just this is HIFIL and the the old one, the old form of it, the original form of it shows. So that's there. The first position is there. The second position is there. And then that third, hey, is missing as one would expect. And then we have the, the ending on it, the ooh ending on it, letting us know that it's plural. Right. Right? Right. So, ho do, yeah, so that is uh, 18.7 in BHRG and it's very helpful Uh, They do not use this verb as an example, but that wouldn't be this wouldn't be a good example because that hay is going to drop out a lot anyway. So besides that, you know, whenever they use a verb as an example paradigm, especially for weak verbs, you only want that one position that you're talking about to be the weak one that you're talking about. Right. Otherwise, it's not a good example. So so this one follows two patterns of weakness. One of them, it's actually strong. But it's a it's weird how it's strong because it's old and we don't expect it because we learn it in vocab with the yode and the cal stem. OK. And it's just it's 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 going back and showing you, hey, this was a, a old way of doing it. But then there's also still the weakness of the hay at the end disappearing. Right. So it's doubly it's doubly weak. But one of those weaknesses isn't actually weak. It's just we you know, we learn it in Cal and this is a very, very,
0: very old verb. So, is. No, I would suppose then that Todah is not related at all to this. Uh, I think
1: you would be incorrect. It is totally oh, related. Is it? Okay.
0: Yeah, open up Hallett and look.
1: Yada. 100 times, 66 times in Psalms. To praise, confess, give thanks. Yep. Yeah. Look at that. Mm hmm. There, there, towards the end. Nordzian. Near near the end. <laughs> for Psalm 74,
0: 19. Right. Yeah, down at the bottom it says under the derivatives, to
1: So that's pretty cool. That's 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 where it comes from. Okay, so give thanks. Uh hodu praise. So how are you translating this? Give praise? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, we could also say give thanks. Give thanks, give praise. Le, Yahweh? Two. Yeah, that's a, that's a, this isn't spatial in the sense like we're going to the store, but it is spatial in the sense of this is the, the goal, you know, we're sending our praise in this direction and Yahweh is the terminating point of
0: it. Right. That's what I was going to say. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then uh, Ki Well, four, and then I... I would assume it's understood that it's, he is good, but it actually doesn't say that. It just says for good. Yeah. So what does that mean? Uh, We can supply it, or it could just be saying, give thanks to the Lord for goodness.
1: Meaning that the content of our thanksgiving is
0: goodness? The content of, of why we're thanking him is just goodness, period. What is that? Uh, what do you mean? Well, I mean, it, it, he is good is how they usually translate it. <laughs> but, I mean, that's, that's not there. And good can be taken as a noun too, right? It's an adjective, but right. does, it, does it function as a noun? And many,
1: many times it does. So what kind of adjective, what kind of noun is this? Is this referring to Yahweh? Or is this referring to Hodu Yahweh? Is this saying, yeah? Is this a predicate adjective uh, on Yahweh for it is good to it, it, because He is good, or is
0: it about the whole thing for it is good to praise Yahweh? I, I mean, I think it can go either way.
1: So you have for He is good, but it could be for it is good, right? For praising Him is good.
0: Well, yeah. I mean, that's that's I I kind of. Would assume there'd be something else there if it's supposed to be taken as he is good.
1: you know, like it might well, but let's say it was Kitov tov who, and it would look like for good, you know, he, but it, that it could also be he, you know, good it. Right.
0: So we're kind of just stuck.
1: I think you can take it in at least two ways, and I think those are both fine, and we can move on. And mm-hmm. then we have the refrain kileolam chastel.
0: That I, I said because uh, unto the olam is his chesed. So you didn't really translate it. <laughs> no, well, because it's like you were saying in the last episode. Some of these words we should probably just bring across as what they well, are. Well, that's,
1: that's an issue of translation, and then if you're actually going to critique translation, you have to get to its purpose. If the purpose of a translation is to communicate to a 10-year-old, you cannot leave olam and chesed in there. True. If the purpose of a translation is to be useful for a Wednesday night Bible study group of adults who regularly read the Bible and have read this a hundred times, and maybe they need a new way to look at it, then that would be great. And then you get to talk about these cool Hebrew words and what do they mean? So for something like the NIV, which is trying to be used by millions and millions of people, or for something like the ERV, which is meant to be heard uh, by a a young person or by someone who's new at reading, you know, they gotta, they they have to do something. And it's not going to be perfect, right? So we have uh, two olam. We talked about olam last time. How would you represent olam here in English?
0: Uh, something like forever or eternity or. Yeah, I think forever is fine.
1: Okay, and then and then chasdoh.
0: Uh, steadfast, loyal love.
1: Yeah, and that's fine. The problem is you can't sing it. Yeah, right. <laughs> so Chris Tomlin's to something. We could say Chris Tomlin <laughs> might be. Uh, Many things, or his music might be many things. But one of the things his music certainly has been proven to be is it's singable.
0: Yeah, you can yeah.
1: sing the, that song. His love endures. So in that in that sense, it works hundred percent. Right. Okay. But 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 that doesn't mean we have to stop there. If we open up our resources and we look a little more into Chesed, uh, chesed what do we learn? What do you mean? Well, we can sing his love endures forever. But if you're asking, if one of your kids asks you, Daddy, what does that mean? What are you going to tell them? That God is loyal. Loyal. Loyalty. Oh, man. I think loyalty is probably where I'm coming recently. If I have to pick one English word to represent chesed, that's probably where I'm coming most recently. And honestly, it's probably because I've been listening to a lot of Kendrick Lamar. I'm thinking about that. I got royalty, got loyalty inside my DNA. <laughs> but... Yeah, yeah. But if you look at Hallett here, and keep in mind, Hallett is a English translation of a German lexicon. So sometimes it's translation suggestions, it's glosses. You know, you might have a better idea. Not saying uh, it's it's wrong. I'm just saying sometimes we, we uh, particularly if folks are doing translation work, this is a great jumping off point. But if you... Don't pick something that's necessarily a bold face in boldface and hallet. that doesn't mean you're wrong. You know, it's just this is a good place to go. But if we're looking here, we see loyalty, solidarity, loyalty, joint obligation, faithfulness, graciousness, goodness. I think loyalty is good. I think fidelity is good. I think faithfulness is good.
0: Hosting guests.
1: Yeah. You know, you got to think uh, we're not reading it right now, but Chesed is what Ruth shows to Naomi and it is right. what Boaz maintains to his dead family members right when he not only gets the property which is what the Mr so and so whose name shall not be mentioned <laughs> wanted but but also oh you're also you know also you're going to continue on the family line of of the dead and that property and that wealth is going to go on with that kid also and not you. So it's that obligation also. Right. It's that duty, almost in a Kantian sense of duty of of, of what's what's right is what you're supposed to do. But maybe that's uh, some people would probably object and say, don't be bringing Kant into Biblical Hebrew semantics. So it's you, probably better.
0: You can't bring him into this.
1: <laughs> so... We have, yeah, faithfulness, loyalty, keeping, keeping promises. For for God always keeps His promises. You know, Yahweh forever keeps promises. Right. Is always loyal. It's always faithful. Yeah, but we, but we can sing it too. His love endures forever, and that's not wrong. But if we're going to talk about it, we can be a lot more a lot more specific about Chesed. Right. Okay, let's do verse two. Okay, so Hodu le. Oh, sorry, sorry. Hold on. Let me interrupt you. Let me interrupt you. we got two keys here. Let's talk about these keys. If Christian Lakateau was here, he'd be throwing a fit because we're not even talking about these keys. So the first key you translated as because, which makes me see sound causal, give thanks to God because Tove. So whether it's because he is good or because it's good to give him thanks, the key is a causal key. Right. What about the
0: second key? Are these two causal keys back to back? I mean, I tend to think so because it's that's that phrase is why you're why you're doing what is imperative in the first phrase.
1: OK, is that going to be a causal key in, in, in this reference? So we got the first key and I agree. The first key, I think, is very plainly causal. Give thanks because it's giving the rationale of why you should give t- telling you why you should give thanks. But the second key, this is the refrain that's gonna go on for twenty-six verses. Right. Is that gonna be a causal key in all twenty-six verses? I mean, I don't know. Well, we gotta read them all, so we haven't gotten there yet, but maybe it is, maybe it isn't. If you just open up Hallett, I mean not even look just, just simple lexical stuff. What is what does Hallett tell us that key can do? Uh <laughs> a bunch. A bunch, yeah. One, it's a quote unquote emphatic, or they call it dectic and stressing often translated as "yea," verily indeed yes there's also can be following a negative clause on the contrary or only or no or except there's a concessive key except i think most often most of the time when we encounter key it is a conju- it is a causal conjunction that would translate because or for meaning in a causal sense however here I think we have a good reason to say that in this refrain that's going to get repeated throughout the whole psalm, uh, it might be, it might be something like indeed. It might be this indectic and stressing. It might be yes. Okay. Notice that when Chris Tomlin sings it, he doesn't sing the key. <laughs> so it could just be a pause. Well, it could be like an exclamation point. Indeed, yes, and may- maybe it would be yes. His love endures forever. Indeed, his love endures forever. Okay, but the way that you do it in a Chris Tomlin song is—is is you get really excited on that part. You know, it's a if 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 we can use this this language that Hallett's using. I like dectic and stressing. Emphatic is a no no word for for Ibraist. We're we're not supposed to use that word. Is this for emphasis? Mariaka wrote a whole thing on on that, and we don't use that. That is way too vague. So there is we use information structure now, and there's discourse analytical. Uh, frameworks for that. We don't just say emphasis no more. <laughs> Why is that key? There is there for emphasis. No, it's no. It's it's. Uh, uh, I think I think there's a good argument that this is functioning poetically as as this dictating stressing. Yes, indeed. Okay. Within a song. Okay. okay. So verse two, okay. we have the same verb do again. We don't need to
0: parse that again, but go ahead read. Read the rest of that. Le lohei ha Elohim ki leolam chasdou chasdou I keep doing that because of the two dots at the end.
1: Well, so here we have the same verb: give thanks or give praise. Le lohei ha Elohim. That's to the God
0: of gods. Uh, well, to, how do you know it's to the God of gods? Because they made Elohim definite. So, so I would assume that that means the Elohi is definite. Right.
1: So if the absolute noun in the construct chain is definite, that the whole chain is definite. Right. Um, what do you think this phrase, Elohei ha Elohim has to do with Yahweh in verse 1?
0: Uh, I think that if I can get... There's a word. You need the right word. What's the right word? Oh, I don't know then, man. Don't put me on the spot like that.
1: <laughs>
0: well, The word is... Canaanite Pantheon uh, well, <laughs> this isn't exactly apposition
1: um, because generally apposition happens right back to back, right? However, we could say within the you know the structure of this psalm, this is certainly renaming. So Yahweh is being renamed here or being we're giving appositional information about Yahweh. Well,
0: it doesn't. so it's Yahweh, the God of the gods, right. So that's like because Hebrew poetry tries to rhyme idea, right? Uh, rhyming. What do you mean rhyming? Rhyming is a very specific word. (laughs) Well, I mean, they're not concerned with Let me hear you flow, Eminem. Yeah, they're not concerned with that kind of rhyming. They're concerned with flow of idea here. Here, in 136.
1: Well, yeah, and I think we can see that that pretty clearly with the the structure. We have the ho-do in verse 1 with who's receiving that praise. It's Yahweh. Right. Right. And lamid marking it in the same exact structure in verse 2.
0: And then again in verse
1: 3. And then again in verse 3. So Yahweh is renamed as the God of the gods and the Lord of the lords. Or the Adonai Ha Adonim, master of the masters. There is probably... You know, I always thought Lord was weird, just a weird... Because just growing up in... In English-speaking culture, when I hear Lord, I think, like, English castles
0: right. and stuff. But Lord, Master, the one in charge, ki le'olam And then they change the spelling there in verse 3. Where? For le'olam. Oh, wow. Hey, yeah, they do. So
1: instead of a whole involved, just a whole. Why is that, scholar? Well oh, you tell me. Why? I, I don't know. Do we have the Dead Sea Scrolls? Does it? I don't have the Dead Sea Scrolls open. Let me see what I do. They
0: they spell it with the holimvav or with the vav, anyways. Uh, consistently. Seems like it. Yes.
1: Huh. That's interesting. So the BHS, the Biblia Hebraica Cartensia, is the edited scholarly version of the Hebrew Bible, but it is largely based on the Leningrad Codex. Right. So it is not exactly one for one the Leningrad Codex because you can get that for free. That's public domain. Or you got to pay for this, but it's mostly based on the Leningrad Codex. So that makes me think there is probably a difference in the Leningrad Codex there. Um, But I don't. I don't have that in front of me, so I don't know for sure. I think it's interesting if the if the Dead Sea Scrolls keeps the spelling consistently.
0: Yeah, it seems to. I haven't haven't looked at every verse, but it seems like there's a vav in every verse. And it's a vav in every verse. Is,
1: uh, is olam only spelled this way that in that verse? I'm looking at, I'm just scrolling through the other verses now, and it seems so far that's the only verse where olam is spelled in the short form.
0: Defective, right? Yes. That's what
1: some people call it, defectiva, but I don't think there's anything defective about it. I just think it, you know, <laughs> it's just different. Yeah, sometimes Vav is used to indicate a vowel and sometimes it's not. And when you know the, the word, it's sometimes it's unnecessary. So, okay, so it looks like in the BHS it's only there in that verse. Where were we, in verse 3? Yes. It seems to be only in verse 3 where it's spelled in the short way.
0: Correct. Okay. Interesting.
1: I don't think it's very significant at all, but for people who say the Bible is corrupt because there's changes, well, okay, I guess you're right.
0: There's a little spelling change there. Doesn't matter. There's a manuscript difference (laughs) right there.
1: (laughs) Doesn't matter at all, but okay. Verse four,
0: you want to read it? (laughs) Le osse niflaot gedolot libado kileolam chasdo.
1: All right, very good. Here we go. We're gonna get into some stuff here now.
0: What do you got first? So there's a preposition in front of a cow participle.
1: How you know it's a participle?
0: Because it follows the cotel pattern. Yeah, oh eh. Yeah. Okay. Uh and that's kind of to make or From a sa? Yeah. To make or do. Yeah, that's that's where I pulled that from, anyways. Okay, so to make or do nifla out get look. Ah, uh, so then that one's a nifal participle, also. All right, I mean, it's a feminine plural in the absolute. We can see the
1: noon way up front, letting us know we can see the feminine plural ending of a noun that's on a verb. When you see a noun ending on a verb, that's a dead giveaway. Right. This is this is not a finite verb. You are looking at a non-finite verb here. Okay, so participle, nifal participle, gedolot gets uh, adjective, feminine adjective, plural, modifying it. Right. So now the question is, how are these participles functioning? We know we yeah. we know how people translate them most of the time, so we can even work backwards from that. How do mo- how do most of the people translate it?
0: Uh, things like to him alone who does great wonders, or. Are you talking about just in this verse? Yes, sir. Yeah. Or to him who made, or it just kind of like the ordering depends on how they feel like they want to phrase it, but it seems like they're kind of saying it's, they're trying to get the idea across that God alone is the one who can work miracles.
1: Okay. So if we work backwards just from some translations, which we don't really need to, I think we already have enough evidence for what's going on so far. We have a Lamed, right? Right. What has the Lamed been doing so far in, in verses one, two, and three? Been saying to <laughs> To to what? It's so what is Yahweh?
0: The, to to Yahweh what? What do you mean? Like well for his because his love endures forever. Well what are you supposed or to do to Yahweh? Give thanks or give praise.
1: Yeah. Hodu la la. That's where it starts. Hodu la. So it's give thanks to Yahweh, to the God of Gods, to the Lord of Lords. And then just a la. Now the ho do is ellipted or elided, or it's they're skipping it. It's implied, but they're skipping it. So the, okay. the ho do is present contextually, but it's not
0: there in the verse. So is that why some translations are going to supply that?
1: Yeah, some people might even say give, they might add a give thanks to. And this is, again, this is, again, going to give us more information about Yahweh. So if this is more information about Yahweh, what kind of adjective, what kind of participle is this? How is it functioning? I don't know. Substantival. Good. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. (laughs) Substantival. Why does that make sense? Just work backwards. Why does that make sense?
0: It doesn't to me.
1: Well, what kind of adjectives? Remember participles are verbal adjective right yes does that make sense yes all right hold on hold on hold on hold on let's review real quick just real quick we have two basic kinds of verbs there's finite verbs and there's non-finite verbs true in english or hebrew or greek or most languages there's finite verbs and there's non-finite verbs right finite verbs actually do action right like there there's an action that's performed and and like in hebrew They have a a person, gender, number, conjugation, you know, and they have a a aspect or they or they or tense if you want to argue about that. Right. Right. Okay. So like he killed. He killed is action. That's a finite verb. Right. But if I say to kill, I'm thinking of Katal because that's the example. Let's say he ran. (laughs) (laughs) He ran is an action that had like he ran. He ran a mile. Right. Right. To run a mile is not precisely an action, it's just the content of it is describing an action. I understand that semantically, but the phrase to run a mile does not necessarily function as a verb. To run a mile could be a noun. I could say, My favorite thing on Saturday is to run a mile, right? And so, f- in that sense, it's telling you I'm treating it as if it's a thing, right? So, non finite verbs are often. When you want to take a verbal idea and you want to talk about it like it's a thing. Okay, so in Hebrew, we have two basic ways of doing non-finite verbs. One is called infinitive and one is called participle. Right. Okay, so when we do infinitives, it's most often like to run. Right. When we have participles, it's running. Right. But then you have to figure out, is it the man was running? Is it running kind of acting like a verb because some of the verbs... Sometimes do that, or is it substantival? Is in this sense, running one, okay, or runner, okay? So here we have a form of asa make is it making, or is it the making one, or the one who makes, or the maker, yeah, yeah, so it's substantival, right? Okay, so actually, just keep this in mind if you just look at a paradigm, uh, like if you have all the different uh, stems in front of you. Like if you have that cheat sheet or in, in a grammar book, look at a paradigm. Outside of the Cal and I think PL, I don't have it in front of me, uh, stems, many, many, many participles are made with the prefixed mem. Right. Right? Does that sound familiar? Yeah. Yeah. And you'll notice that some verbs that also have noun forms, have it with a prefix mem. Right. They have that mem up front. And that is evidence, uh, that's grammaticalization evidence. That is a participle that became used so often substantively that it just became a noun. And actually now when you look it up in a lexicon, they have two different entries. They have one for a verb and one for a noun because it became so often used as a noun that they just said, yeah, this is a noun. It's not even a participle anymore.
0: Right. Okay. So that's kind of like a run versus... Yeah, like runner. Runner is a noun. Right. Right? We treat it as a noun. Yeah, even though it's one who is doing the action. Yeah. Okay. So then that's to the maker. Yeah. So to the maker of – so the one who makes niflaot gedalot. Uh, Gedalot is great, and it's plural to follow the the niflaot. Yeah, what did you have for niflaot? I kind of just – miracles or great things or –
1: yeah, how it has miraculous acts for niflaot, again. Yeah. This is functioning as a noun, but it is in a verb section of the lexicon. It's under a verb because participles act like nouns. Right. Not every single time, but often. That's one of the things that participles do. Sometimes they act like nouns. Okay. You learned this before, man, and now you're looking like, Oh, I
0: forgot some stuff. <laughs> Well, no, I mean I'm following you, I'm tracking. I'm just I'm also reading Hallet while you're you're going through and just looking at miraculous acts.
1: Does it have Psalm one thirty 130, yeah, 136.4 is mentioned? Yeah, there. that's it
0: I was looking for, so
1: So the one who does the one who makes miraculous acts or great miraculous acts, Levado, how did you treat that Levado? Uh just as alone alone by himself right to bod o. to bod o. and if you look up bod what is it so it's to his bod uh, it's solitude alone part portion so to to himself carrying pole <laughs> <laughs> that's that's one of them
0: yeah alone that's that was the one i grabbed so that means that he's alone, the one who is the maker, right?
1: Yeah, he is. A do- well, he's doing it by himself, so it's it's the one who makes great things by himself without help. And it's interesting because this has already introduced him within a pantheon, right? Right. So it's not the only god out there who's doing stuff, but this is the God of Gods, the Lord of Lords, who makes great works by himself. So it's like these other gods.
0: Ain't in the game. And that sort of hits at the whole idea of monolatry in Israel versus monotheism.
1: Man, you're talking about other stuff now. <laughs>
0: you mean worshiping one God rather than only
1: believing that one God exists? Correct. Yeah, and I even think that the, the need for that kind of uh, language distinction is really just a Western thing. I mean, there's not in, in, in the ancient Near East... Nobody thought there was only one God. It's just
0: there's a lot of people that don't understand
1: that. Though. <laughs> I mean, nobody thought there was only one God. It's ev- every town, every city has a God. Every country has a God. Everybody right. has their own God. They even got their own gods in their houses, right? You know? but 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 not Israel. Well, but which one is which <laughs> one is the ose nifla ok Gedolot? Yeah. So yeah, you might have a trinket in your house, but it doesn't ose nifla ok Gedolot. Yeah. So you best recognize <laughs> verse
0: five. This what's about to
1: come. Verse Yeah, because it's about to not be so nice, Chris Tomlin. Uh-oh. Sing this.
0: Sing this, Chris Le, Tomlin. Leosei Hashemayim Bitbuna. Yeah, Bitbuna. Yeah. Ki le'olam
1: Hasado. Okay, so again, another preposition Lamed plus participle ose. So to the maker of or to the one who makes Hashemayim. Uh,
0: you don't need to look that up. You know Shemayim. No, that's vocab. I'm 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 trying to do the next word with it though. Well, what's I mean, Shemayim? One the, at a time. Don't get ahead of me. The heavens. The phrase is backwards. What do you mean? I guess. Well, not really, because it's who who made the heavens. Where did the modifier
1: come in the last verse? After. Yeah, this isn't English. You can split well, up verbal phrases all you want to in Hebrew. This is a ninth grade. This is a Miss Galloway's class in ninth grade English. <laughs> <laughs> oh, she was tough. Yeah, man So the levado in verse 4 Comes at the end of that phrase So who's the one who makes It's not the one who by himself makes Nifa'ot gedelot But it's the one who makes Nifa'ot gedelot by himself Right Same thing in the next verse The one who makes the heavens with By understanding Yeah, with understanding By understanding You can translate that a lot of ways But uh, I think that's probably you know, the traditional language for that would be like instrumental bait. He's using understanding to make it. There's other ways you could do that. In, uh, and this isn't new to this one. I don't know, actually. I haven't looked at bait specifically yet in the new BHRG. But I know that one of the innovations of the original BHRG was that Christo summarized and kind of systematized a lot of Yeni's work on the inseparable prepositions, uh, bait, Lama, and cough, uh, which Jenny wrote some big books just on those three prepositions. And Christo tried to systematize that and make it more accessible for folks like me in the original BHRG. So you can uh, find that. And even if even if you have the old version, there's a lot of that that good stuff there. But the thing that, that, that I learned about the bait uh, just to give a summary is from Yen- from the way he summarized yenny stuff is that it's basically expressing some contact. there's some some there's some interaction. Oftentimes, the bait is semantically connoting containment here. It might be this uh, idea of of using or instrument. But the point is is there's contact um, between the maker and here understanding or, or however you want to translate tavuna, cleverness, skill. Okay. So even in English, you might even translate that uh, like skillfully. Okay. That ne- that's not necessarily telling you the way that the bait functions, but that's a that's a that's a acceptable English option. Okay.
0: All right. Well, verse six. Uh Ha'aretz al hamayam ki leolam has- hasdo. All right. Now we have it's not
1: leose, but what do we have here? Lerokah. This is not oe. It's oa. So how do I know this is a participle still?
0: Ah, uh, because it still
1: has that. Holum. The holum, the holum is a good in indication, but you can also just look here and see, oh, this is weak in the third position because there's an I in there. Right. And you can go to the grammar and you can look up third ions and uh, you'll see this kind of change. Right. Okay. So we know this is a participle. It's most likely still functioning in the same way. So it's a understood ho-do, give praise to, and this is going to be a substantival participle. The one who does what? What does this verb mean? Spread. Spread or hammers or or stamps out. Tramples, stamps, spreads.
0: Spreads what? The earth.
1: Al Hamayim. I think this is very clearly just a basic spatial all. This is a basic, you know, vertical spatial all. Yeah. So on. If you want to get a little bit more descriptive contextually, we might say across. But we still also have that spatial vertical aspect to it where the water's on the bottom and the land's on the top. Yeah, which affirms their yeah. whole viewpoint. <laughs> right. So now we have moved from basic uh, renaming of Yahweh. Yahweh is the God of gods, the Lord of lords, the one who makes Niflaot who makes great wonders and now now we're getting into kind of a creation sequence where we're going to yeah. be rec- recounting some creation story stuff so we have the makers of the heavens maker of the heavens the one who spreads out the earth on the waters verse seven
0: uh let orim ged, gedolim ki leolam hasdo
1: yeah now we're back to leose preposition lamed plus participle the one who makes or the maker of the great lights
0: Oh. Or great lights. Yeah. Just
1: not that. Oh, 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 oh. Uh, I got game here. I got some game here. You got to so, bring it? I'm. I, well, I, just, I did a little bit of homework, and thank you very much for Pete Beacons for writing a book. But we'll get there in one second. So to the maker of the great lights. So give understood, Hodu, give thanks praise to the one who makes Orim Gedolim, the great lights. Mm-hmm. Orim Gedolim is pretty straightforward, both masculine plural nouns or masculine plural noun. With a masculine plural adjective modifying it. it, seems to be yes.
0: Okay, then we have verse eight. Uh, et lemem beyom ki leolam chasdo. Let's go ahead and do verse nine with it because these go together. Et oh, yareh ach, sorry, lemem ki leolam chasdo. Very good. Okay, so now here we have et opening up each verse which is kind of like a
1: the in this. So this is what's advantageous about a participle. Is a participle can do can swing both ways. Oh, uh, participle can do both at the same time. It can be verb and noun at the same time. So here this is in verse 7 the maker, the one who makes, right? It's a substantival participle. And it's also going to take a direct object. Yeah. So it's but it's weird. It doesn't take it there in verse seven. Right. So we know that often in biblical Hebrew, we have verb and then the object. So uh, there oftentimes the object follows the verb. Sometimes it might be fronted, but often verbs, um, the, the object of the verb has this et this prefix, direct object marker, et, on it. So it's there in verses 8 and 9, but not in 7.
0: So are these kind of like interruptions in like the great lights, comma, the sun to rule over the day, comma, the moon and stars to rule over the night?
1: Yeah, I think now we're going to get some more information on the Orim Gedolim and specifically what those are, but... Why the et's uh, in this way? How are they? What are they? What are they doing? Uh, you'll as as we said earlier. You said the great lights, and I said whoa 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 whoa, and you just said no 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 great lights. They're they're indefinite. Right. So first we have this participle that is a substantival participle. They're functioning substantively, but it takes this object orim gedalim, indefinite object, and then in verses eight and nine. That same substantival representing Yahweh participle is also taking more objects, and they get introduced with the direct object marker. And they're also contextually they're highly related to orim gedolim. They're 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 describing the orim gedolim, right? Right. We get hashemesh and hayarayak ve'kochamim. Right. So what's up with that? What are they doing? I don't have the book. I believe it's in my office. I don't have it here uh, at the house, but, uh, Peter Beacons, I believe his blog was called Balsh I'll have to look it up, but, uh, I've, I've known him for a while. He's been a blogger for a long time. Just finished his PhD a few years ago. Very, very good at he wrote a book, I believe it's his dissertation, got published into a book, but it's on the direct object marker. If you are into some Hebrew grammar nerd stuff, this book is for you. <laughs> and Christo and, uh, and uh, Yaki have used it in the new BHRG. Uh, I had it marked here. So here I am looking at 33.4.2 in the new BHRG. It's a section on the object marker. has a little bit of morphology. Then a little bit of syntax in general. It marks the definite object of a transitive verb. This is also why it's called the object marker. Ta Very simple. More specifically, here you go, Peter Beacons. Thank you very much. More specifically, it is used when the information status of the object is high within the discourse structure. Specifically, when the object is identifiable, animate, and persistent within the context. Then there's an example here from Exodus 2, 11 and 12. Uh, I'll read it in English just so folks can follow a little easier. He saw, this is uh, Moses killing the Egyptian who killed the Hebrew. Uh He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew man, one of his kinsmen. Verse 12, he turned this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. And the example is that in verse 11, Egyptian is indefinite. It's the object of uh, Ra'a, and he saw, he saw, he saw ish Mitzray. He saw ish Mitzray. So it is not marked as definite. We could argue about if Mitzray is making, because it's an Egyptian man, but it's uh, It's not a specific, it's just, he saw ish Mitzray. And then in verse 12, we get, uh, where is it? Yeah, he saw, he struck down, Vayak et so, mitri first it's ish mitri, then it's et ha So, more specifically, the et is used when the information status of the object is high within the discourse structure. Now, you have to know a little something about information structure here to totally appreciate that. But the point is, is that when we're talking about a thing, that means its status within our conversation or our discourse is high. And when we're not talking about a thing, its status within the discourse, our discourse, is low. So if we're talking about a thing, there might be ways to mark it in our conversation, in in the back and forth, um, specifically when it's identifiable, animate, or persistent with the context. So... Why don't we have a et on orim gedolim, but we do on shemesh and ha hashemesh and hayareyach? Because
0: those are referring back to what the orim gedolim are.
1: Yeah, I think it's because the information status of the object is high within the discourse structure. In this discourse structure, we are recapping, we're, we're revisiting the creation stories, and we get introduced, orim gedolim, and so high within the the the, the context of this is going to be Shemesh and yareak, and it's not just any Shemesh and yareak, it's ha-shemesh and ha-yareak, and we know even more specifically lemimshelet bayom, for ha-shemesh, and the sun, the moon, and the stars, Shalot balayla. Right, so it's very, very, very specific. It's high status within the discourse structure. As we move along, I don't think poetry would be a good place to do this in, but it'd be fun to do uh, a podcast about information structure and talk a little bit about information structure. Um, yeah. Honestly, if we're gonna do that, man, we should call Josh Westbury because he's the best. That's what he that's what he did his stuff on. And uh, if you got a question about information structure or left dislocation in Hebrew, I think Josh Westbury is the best uh, right now. I haven't I haven't read anybody that I would say has a good criticism of his work. But
0: yeah.
1: what do I know? I'm a I'm a lowly Bible translation consultant. So um, I think that's why I think that's a very good explanation for the et's here, why they're there. Obviously, also it's poetry, and it very could simply be well we need the et to fill space for the beat for the rhythm, for the meter. Um, Nevertheless, even if it's there, it's going to do a function. And these verbs, these participles, have been taking objects. And so why are these objects marked in ways that other objects are not? I think uh, Pete has uh, a great explanation for that, and I'm very glad to see that it's in the new grammar. If you don't have the new grammar, get it on Amazon. Did you get yours in the mail? I have not gotten mine yet. Okay, um, you want to call a stopping point
0: up here? I don't think we should stop right here, but where do you want to stop at? That's so verse nine that ends the creation section. Yeah, because
1: this gets now into the part that Chris Tomlin doesn't want to sing about.
0: Right, I don't. I don't remember. You know, to him who killed all the babies. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. I don't think that
0: would fly in many churches
1: in America. And then you know what comes right yeah. after this is Psalm 137. That would make sense, which has its own uh, baby-killing ending there.
0: Yeah, and that's about the exile, isn't
1: it? Yeah, it is. We should read that one too. There's a Jimmy yeah. Cliff song about that. That one is a popular reggae song too, but they don't sing about the the bashing of babies' heads on rocks at the end. No. Yeah. And, you know, um, okay, well, I look forward to that. Next time, I guess, we will do part two of Psalm 136. There's a lot to be said here. There's a lot to be said about the violence in the Old Testament. And uh, there's there's a lot of people right now who I think are making – you have to be careful with your words because I'm going to get in trouble already because we're not supposed to talk about theology.
0: Silly assumptions.
1: Well, I was going to call it marcionism but you're not supposed to say that <laughs> the m word <laughs> there's some people who want to cut texts out and they don't just they, and they say it like no i don't want to cut the text out i just want to say it's not as important as this other text
0: or oh that's mythology
1: i, I want to no i mean but marcionism or specifically people object to some violence in the i'm gonna get in trauma get hate mail
0: but uh, this isn't a the theology podcast, so we don't have to learn how to deal with the violence in the Old Testament.
1: Well, it's there, but I think I think uh, I think next week we we will get into it and we will talk about it. And we'll start off with it, and I think uh, I think we absolutely have to cling to these violent texts and we have to treasure them and treat them very preciously because Jesus is in there.
0: That's a big cliffhanger.